news. Amen. The beginning of last year, beginning of 2022, we introduced our, our theme, if you like, our vision, our focus for the year as being Go Make Disciples, which you've seen on the wall regularly. It's there again behind me at the moment. And uh, I said this last year and I'll say it again. There is no greater experience in this life than to be born again of the water and the spirit. Uh, there's a lot of great things you can experience in life, but to be born again, to be ready for the return of the Lord, is it's the pinnacle. Everything else is, is lower than that on the totem pole, if I can put it that way. But to realize that Jesus has washed away your sins, to realize that he has filled you with his spirit, cannot be compared to anything this world has to offer. In fact, so much of what goes on in the world, particularly pleasure-seeking, is an attempt to replace the satisfaction that God brings. I mean, many of us that have the Holy Ghost can clearly remember when we were filled with the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget the night that the Lord filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Some of us were children. Uh, some of us, we were filled with the Holy Ghost while we were standing in the baptistry or just been freshly baptized in Jesus' name. Tap water on the outside, living water on the inside. Amen. What an incredible experience. I know people that were filled with the Holy Ghost in such a powerful way that they couldn't stop speaking in tongues even after we'd closed in prayer, went turn the lights out and try to get everybody out of the building. They're still praying in the Holy Ghost. And the question that the Apostle Paul asked in Acts chapter 19, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed, is still a relevant question today. It, we need to have the Holy Ghost, amen. If, you, if that's a foreign concept, we'd be happy to explain that to you, but it happened in the Word of God. In the book of Acts, it is promised to His people from then until now, until Jesus comes back, amen. And the closest thing to that experience, the closest thing, in my opinion, to having that experience is to be with someone else when they experience that for the first time, amen. Especially if God has used you to have a hand in leading that person to Him, and sharing the gospel with them and, and making a disciple out of them, which is what our theme has been. And our vision statement has four main points. The first is that we would disciple, that we would lead souls into a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. That matters. There's enough fake going on. We need to have a real relationship with God. That we would be dedicated. We would dedicate. We would encourage personal responsibility to invest in the kingdom of God. That's for each of us that we would be a church that develops, that we would prepare and equip souls to serve in the kingdom of God. When you, when you really scratch the surface on what Jesus was looking for in people in the New Testament, he was looking for those that would serve, those that would follow him, and we'll get into some of that in a minute. And that we would demonstrate, that we would not only say what the Bible says, but that we would demonstrate in our lives that what it says is still true, that we would have an apostolic culture. And these statements are in line with our local focus on the Word of God, but is also in line with the vision of our national church. And our national church vision has three areas. One is the development of leaders, training people to serve. Amen. The second one is growth, that souls would be added to the church. And the third one is the strengthening of an apostolic culture. That means that we continue to affirm the truth of apostolic doctrine. We continue to affirm the necessity for an apostolic lifestyle and the demonstration of the miraculous power of God. Amen. Many of you know and are aware of the fact that two years ago, we launched a building program. If you look around this morning, there's not a lot of empty seats, and there are quite a few people away today. And we, we believe that that idea 
was directed by the Lord. We talked about it for a long time, but we held off until we really felt like the Lord was behind that. And we've repeated this, but I will continue to repeat it so that nobody misunderstands. It's not about having a bigger building. Buildings are not what it's about. But it's about what the purpose of that building is. And the purpose behind that goal is that it would be a place to teach God's Word. It would be a place to help people become established in the Word of God, to sink their roots down deep into the Word of God and to invest people into the kingdom of God. Amen. We're we're living in a consuming society. What can I get? The kingdom of God God is is a giving society. What can I do? How can I contribute? How can I serve God? And we have to to change the way that we think. You see, when the Lord returns for His church, which the Bible says is going to happen very soon, the building's not going with us. The building's staying on the ground. Nobody's nobody's church buildings are going to heaven. But we're hoping and we're believing that what happens within that building will affect people's lives so that when the Lord does return, those people will go to be with the Lord. Amen. Many of you know that the word church in the Scripture comes from the Greek word ecclesia which means to be called out. That's what he's going to do. He's called us out from this world and he's going to call us home when he returns. Amen. I want to commend this church for your faithfulness in giving to the building program. This is not an appeal for finance this morning. Uh, Brother Rowan's going to talk to us a little bit about what's going on with that next week, but I want to con- commend you for getting behind that vision. Amen. It's going to take the goodness of the Lord. The Lord's going to ha- have to intervene, but he will bless our efforts. Amen. Five years ago, we started a daughter work in Bassendine. Some of you may remember when we launched that. I believe it was very early 2018. And brother and sister, stand brother Peter. I will embarrass somebody. You can stand for a moment. I'm allowed to embarrass him. He's an old friend. Brother Peter and his wife, sister Cherry, and the team have done a tremendous job at that daughter work for the last five years. If you've been able to visit with them for whatever reason or another, you can sit down, bro. Thank you. Their faithfulness, their commitment, their consistency has been incredible. And I honor them for that today. Amen. Amen. And, you know, when, when we start things at the direction of God, when the Lord says, this is what I want you to do, when we, what humans do, or at least a lot of us do, is we start already thinking about what that looks like. As we, we, okay, the Lord wants us to do this, which means that this is going to happen and that's going to happen and this is going to happen. And the Lord's like, well, you're allowed to think that, but that may not exactly be what I have in mind. We think we know how things are going to unfold and God often, we don't always see what God does until we look back. Amen. And Bass and Dean may not have gone exactly how we envisioned, but it has certainly fulfilled the will and the purpose of God. God has used that daughter work as a vehicle for a great training and development for those that have been involved. And it's also been a place where the Lord has done some great healing and reconciliation. Amen. And so we are thankful for what he's done in that place. Amen. We do believe now that the Lord has adjusted some direction. And in the near future, I can't give you a date or a location just yet, but brother and sister McCallum will be going out to start a home missions church somewhere probably in Western Australia somewhere. Don't interrogate him. He can't give you a lot of details just yet. Amen. But I am very, very confident that this is the will of God. You know, to be totally transparent, there are times when people want to do things and pastors have to stand up and try to make it look like it's a good thing. This is a good thing. This is, this, the hand of God is on this. 
it is the will of God. I believe that it is the will of God and the purpose for this couple's ministry. Amen. And so as a part or a byproduct of that process, it means that we have made the decision that the Bassendine daughter work will no longer be operated. Now, this is very has been a very emotional decision. It's not something that we've done lightly. We've spent a very large amount of time in prayer and consideration. And uh, it's been especially emotional for the team that were involved in Bass and Dean, but we are also very excited about what the Lord is going to do through the McCallums as they raise up a lighthouse for truth in a city or a town that at this point has no apostolic voice. This is a big country, folks. We need churches. We need lighthouses where people can hear the truth of God's word. Amen. So I want to encourage you to pray for them as we begin this plan and the decisions and all that is involved in that. He, you know, he's, he was just saying he's just recently got everything at the house the way he wants it and now they're going to leave town. But so often that's the way God works. We get everything where we think it is and the Lord says, by the way, I have a plan. But we are excited about that and so I want you to pray with us as we follow the direction of the Lord for that and more details will come to light. Amen. But they're going out to make disciples, to make disciples or to be a disciple maker. And I'm a little nervous to say this because I don't want this to have the reverse effect, but it takes more than giving to the building fund. That's not to be interpreted as please stop giving to the building fund. If you've got that message, that's wrong. That's, That's not what I'm saying. But when we want to be disciple makers, it is something that requires change at the level of how we think as individuals. It gets back to one of those points that we had in our vision statement was it's about personal responsibility. It's about my life. It's about your life. It's about my purpose and my role in the kingdom of God. And I, I believe that the Lord would have us to continue that same vision for 2023. Now, we've refreshed a new graphic there with the help of Sister Vanessa, but we're keeping that thing, go make disciples again this year. Because the fact that the calendar has ticked over from one year to the next does not mean that this is no longer the heartbeat of God. This is still his will. This is still his purpose. And we need, and I hope you feel this this morning, we need a fresh urgency to understand the need to reach souls at this hour. When you understand where the world is at, and I'm I'm not talking about conspiracy theories and, and crazy YouTube nonsense, but I'm talking about what the Word of God says about the things that will happen in the last days, the prophecy that's being fulfilled, the promises that are yet to be fulfilled in the Word of God. We are in the last hours, the last days. Amen. We need as a church to understand what time it really is. Amen. Matthew, sorry, Mark, sorry, chapter 8. And I may be a little heavy this morning. If you're visiting with us, please come back another time. Give us another chance. But Mark chapter 8, verse 22 says, And he came, speaking of Jesus, to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught or if he saw anything. And the man looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Now, exactly what that meant is unclear, but it it communicated to Jesus that there was a little more needed to be done. And in verse 25, it says, After that, 
speaking of Jesus, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now, there are an awful lot of opinions about why Jesus chose to touch this blind man's eyes twice instead of just completely healing him the first time. Uh, And if you're sitting there hoping that I have the answer to that, you're going to be disappointed. There are a lot of opinions. You you can Google that if you want to. Uh, It certainly wasn't because, you know, Jesus only had enough power to do the half job the first time. If you read the context of the chapter, it does seem to be in a setting where there were people struggling to see beyond the natural and into the supernatural. It was connected with the period where he had multiplied the loaves and fishes and fed the multitude and some of his disciples were still stuck thinking about natural things and he was trying to get them to see supernatural things. But that's not, I'm not talking about the why and the how of that passage, but rather the fact that we need Jesus to touch our eyes as well. We need him to help us to see the way that he wants us to see beyond ourselves. Because when you're born again, you can see that you're saved, amen? You can see from the word of God that we've been saved, but what about our neighbor? What about our families? What about our colleagues? What about our classmates? Are we really persuaded that Jesus is coming back? Because if we are, it will change the way we view this situation. If we really believe that Jesus is coming back, that it's not a myth, that it's not something that churches just use to terrify people, but if we really believe that Jesus is coming back, then that needs to impact how we think, how we live, and how we view others. Amen. Do we really view this life through the lens of the life that is to come? Or are we just caught up in the noise and the busyness of life? You know, it's so easy, particularly today, to just get consumed with the busyness of life. It's, I've, I say it often, but we have so many time-saving devices and, not, and we have less time than we've ever had. It takes, we can do so many things so quickly and yet we don't have enough time to do anything else. And when you think about some of the basic things that you do in your home, I mean, make a cup of coffee. Nobody's gone out today, I don't think, and chopped wood and lit a fire and got a bucket and went down to the river and came back up and... You know, roasted the beans that they've been growing for the last six months. We just went into the kitchen and made a cup of coffee. Even half asleep, it probably took me two minutes to make a cup of coffee this morning. And yet we don't seem to ever have enough time. And, that, you know, there, there is a reason for that. There, there are a lot of things that the devil is. But stupid is not one of them. If he cannot kill you and you stand against the temptation of sin... The devil will do his best to busy God out of your life. That's what he will do. See, the number of hours in a day and the number of days in a week hasn't changed since creation. The Lord set it up, got all the mud balls spinning, stars, moons, planets, all that stuff. That's, that's remained the same. And yet we have become so busy that for many of us, we schedule God into a two-hour window on a Sunday morning. Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Got into looking at that verse a little bit. The Greek word here that we get devour from appears in six other places in the New Testament. One time it appears as the word drowned, and five other times as swallowed. Swallowed. 
made me think of a man in the Old Testament who got swallowed when he tried to avoid doing the will of the Lord. Book of Jonah. The Lord said, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. And he said, no, thank you. And he got swallowed. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's a great fish waiting for us down at the beach. But we do have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we are consumed by? What is it that consumes us? Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to read this passage several times this morning. But Matthew 16, and starting at verse 24, says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. These two verses appear almost identically in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. The Gospels were Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they appear in a similar format in the Gospel of John. In fact, Luke Luke goes as far as to add a little bit more emphasis in Luke chapter 14 in verses 26 and 27, Luke said, if, or Luke recorded Jesus saying rather, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's, that's pretty intense language. Now, just in case you're not familiar with what that's talking about and you think God wants us to hate all our relatives, what the, it's a comparative statement. It's a statement that says God must be first. God must be the one who is on the throne of our lives and comparatively speaking, our families are a long way down. It's, it's, it's a completely wrong understanding thing that Jesus is teaching us to hate our families because so much of the rest of the Word of God talks about loving our families and honouring our our husband and our wife and caring for our kids and kids honoring their parents. So it's, it's obviously not saying hate your family and follow me. But what it's saying is if he is not first and everything else is a very distant second, you cannot be his disciple. That's a very strong statement. That's a very strong statement that if we're honest in our natural self, we'd like to read over that rather quickly and move on to something more palatable something that's not quite so confronting. But we read it, we'll read it again, Matthew 16, going back to that text in Matthew. This is in all the other Gospels. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus is telling us that if it says a man, but it's, it's a person, so ladies, you don't get a pass. Jesus is saying that if anybody wants to come after me, they want to be a follower of me, there are some things they must be willing to do. They can't be forced. You can't force people to do these things. They have got to be offered. They've got to be willing. The first thing Jesus said that we need to do was to deny ourselves. What does that mean? The word deny means here to disown or to forget yourself. That's an interesting thought all by itself. That we, because most of the time in their natural selves, the only person we think about is ourselves. And the Lord's saying, if you plan on doing things my way, you're going to kind of forget about yourself. You know, it's like it's the same word when, when Jesus was being, when he was on trial and Peter was outside and they said, hey, you're one of his disciples. 
Scripture says that he denied the Lord. He deliberately tried to disconnect himself from that situation. And so if we are going to follow the Lord, there has to be a disconnecting from what I want to do, from my life, from my preferences, from my dreams. Amen. To deny yourself is to remove your own importance, is to remove your own will, your own desires, and to replace them with the importance of God and the priority of His will and what He wants. It is the biblical concept of submission, whatever that cost may be. Now, again, to balance that slightly, it does not mean you don't take care of yourself or that you abandon your family. That is not what Jesus is teaching us. But even those things, our families and the natural things of life, have to be in submission to God's will. Amen. It's a good question to ask ourselves, what does denying myself to follow Jesus look like? at a practical level, because if we just have concepts that are out there and they don't find any practical application, they don't have a lot of value. We have, when we read the Word of God, we're going to say, well, how do I apply that? What does that mean? What does that mean to me tomorrow, on Monday morning, on Tuesday morning, when you go to school, you go to work, you do whatever it is you do throughout the week? What does that look like in my day-to-day life? How do I deny myself? Amen. Each of us and this is part of what we focus on this morning, is each of us has to be able to read these scriptures and say, how am I obeying that? What does that look like in my life? And then after that, Jesus said we must take up our cross. Now, again, if we know anything about the Word of God, when we think of the cross, we usually think of Calvary. We think of the crucifixion. And so we should. Amen. His sacrifice for us made salvation possible. It made it possible for us to be in this place this morning. It made it possible for us to hear His Word. It made it possible for us to feel His presence. It made it possible for us to respond to His Word in faith. All of that is possible because of the cross. It's all possible because of Calvary. And we always, we've got to come back to that. The cross, and you've heard me say it before, but the, the cross is where we get calibrated. It's where we adjust what's important, what matters. When we consider what He did for us, we align ourselves with that. Other things become less important. The old song says that, that there was a debt that we owed that we couldn't pay, but that he paid a debt that he did not owe. He paid the debt for our sins. But he said, remember he said this before he'd even gone to Calvary, that you and I have a cross to bear or to carry. Now, we, we are not literally dying for someone else's sins. That's not possible. We, we are not sinless like he was, so we cannot, we cannot be a substitute like he could be. So the question is, what is our cross for? When he said, Let, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, what does that mean? Does it mean we have to be willing to suffer? Yeah, it does sometimes. In this country, we don't suffer too much. Amen. Does it mean, does it speak to us of surrendering our will to God's will? Yes, it does. But that was included in the denying ourselves part in the previous statement as well. So when it talks about us as believers bearing our cross, what does that mean? In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying just prior to his trial and crucifixion, he prayed a very specific and significant prayer. In Matthew 26 and 39, speaking of Jesus, it says, and he went a little further. His disciples stayed in one place. He went a little further and he fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. This, this prayer demonstrates the genuine humanity of Jesus Christ as he prayed. That's what it demonstrates. It demonstrates that his humanity was totally submitted to God so that the will of God could be fulfilled. Now, what was the will of God? See, we've got to ask questions when we read the word of God. What does this mean? What was the will of God that Jesus was involved in, fulf- in fulfilling? It was that mankind, you and I, would have an opportunity to be saved. That was what the will of God was. He was going to the cross so that you and I could be saved from our sins. That was what he was fulfilling. So the cross that Jesus carried was not for his benefit. It was not for his benefit. He had no sin. He needed no forgiveness. There were no consequences on his account. Paul said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We've all earned those wages. Jesus didn't. He had never sinned. He did not deserve any consequences. And so when he went to the cross, it was not for his good, but it was for ours. And we, we surrender our lives to the Lord for our own salvation. We, we obey the gospel by faith so that my soul and your soul can be saved. Amen. And if I'm going to walk in a way that pleases God, if I'm going to live a life that honors and glorifies God, I must deny myself, like Jesus said. But like the cross that he carried, the cross that I am required to bear is for the benefit of others. I want you to think about that for a moment. Am I willing to sacrifice my comfort, my time, my convenience to reach for somebody else, to make a disciple of somebody else, to invest time into somebody else, to genuinely care about them. You know, if we don't genuinely care about souls, forget being a disciple maker. It's not about, well, I invited that person to church, I've ticked the box. And we have to have a genuine love and care for the well-being of all humanity. That's what he had. That's what he wants us to have. Amen. But we carry a cross because we have to be willing to be inconvenienced, to care about them, to care about their family, to walk with them, to eat with them, to help them through their struggles, to pray for them, to be patient with them. Anybody needed somebody to be patient with them before? Maybe once, maybe twice. Nobody's ever needed patience, long-suffering. We all need it sometimes. Amen. If you're married, say amen. We all need to be patient with each other. My wife's upstairs. But we have to be willing to take the time to be inconvenienced, to walk with somebody, to care about somebody, to help them as they overcome things, to be patient, to put up with some junk sometimes because somebody else put up with our junk. Luke chapter 10. Hopefully it won't be too much longer. But Luke chapter 10, verse 1, <clears throat> it says, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. So they were going to prepare the way. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Amen. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves, 
carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man. But in other words, don't worry about the expenses. I will take care of that. He didn't say, here's a corporate card. He said, trust me, I'm going to take care of it. And into what, pay attention to this. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, peace be upon this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall return to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. Now, I, I heard somebody teaching on this recently, and it, it really challenged me because there's, there's a lot in this. You know, there's so much. God's word is so awesome that you can read a passage, and it's, there's just so many things that you can get out of that. But when, when you compare this account with the similar accounts in the other Gospels, it seems as though this instruction of the disciples to go out in pairs was a part of the Lord's final efforts to reach for the nation of Israel. As he reached for, you know, the Bible says he came into his own, his own received him not. It was a part of his final efforts to reach for them because in Matthew chapter 10, the account in Matthew 10, he says, just go to the Jews. He tells the 70, don't worry about the Gentiles just yet, just go to the Jews. And when you read these passages at length, you'll see that this idea seems to be supported by the fact that they were instructed that if they rejected the disciples the judgment would come upon them. In fact, the Lord said very strongly, he said, if they won't listen to you, it's going to be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, that's not very politically correct, but that's what the Bible says. Amen. But there's also a principle here for us. When you enter into someone's house, it says, what, what does it mean to enter into someone's house and say, peace be upon this house? Any of you do that when you go to visit people? Probably not. Can you imagine walking into someone's home, you go to the boss's house for dinner, a work colleague's house for the first time and you come through the door and say, peace be upon this house. They're going to think, okay, we've invited a weirdo over for dinner tonight. And then you're supposed to look and see if the son of peace is there. That's what the scripture says. Now how do we understand this? Both Romans and Ephesians describe the gospel message as the gospel of peace. The gospel brings peace between God and the people who will hear it. Amen. If we respond to the gospel, if we have faith and we believe the gospel and we do what the, the, the gospel says, it restores a relationship between us and God that sin had broken. It brings peace between God and man. Amen. So the son of peace speaks of those who are willing to hear it. The Jews used to use language where if somebody had a certain quality or attribute, they would call them the son of that. An example of that is Judas. Judas was called the son of perdition. That word means judgment or condemnation. That wasn't his surname. It was a description of a quality that he possessed because of his actions. So what it's talking about here is that it says that if, we, if, we, if the son of peace was in the house, you found someone who's willing to hear the message. You found someone who's willing to listen. And if they're willing to listen, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stay a while. It doesn't mean move into their spare room. It, it's talking about putting in some effort, building a relationship, making a disciple. That's what it's talking about. When you bring the gospel of peace, if there's somebody that will receive that, stay a while. Don't just say, Here, here's a card, we have church at 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Invite them to church, but it's talking about putting a little more than that. Don't move on to the next house, but put some work into that thing. It's saying walk with them build a relationship with them, disciple them, help them to come to know what it is that changed your life, how the power of God can change their life. 
So if we are willing to bear our cross for their benefit, to inconvenience ourselves that they might have an opportunity, that they might come to know the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God and that we would help them on that journey just like somebody helped us. There's not a single person in this building building that God teleported here. You know somebody, you you saw something, you're invited. Even if it was just on the internet, there was something that connected you. That's our job, is to connect people to Jesus. But it's about being willing. You know, there, there are... There are people I know in my own life that sometimes you think, Lord, I don't think they're ever going to listen. But if you have the opportunity to continue to demonstrate care, carry that cross. There's a young man that if I named some of you would know that God miraculously delivered from alcohol. Like when I say delivered, I, I don't mean he just liked to drink. He had a very, very serious problem. And before that happened, I would get phone calls at 2 o'clock in the morning this young man was just drunk out of his mind and crying because he couldn't stop drinking. Two o'clock in the morning is not very convenient in case you didn't realize. And you could have rang me later when the sun came up. You get up, you, and I'm not pointing to myself, I'm just using an example. You get in the car, you go pick him up, you try to find somewhere to get coffee. That's what it takes sometimes. You've got to be willing to be inconvenienced. Many of you, if you stop and think about your own testimony and the journey that brought you to where you are with the Lord, it didn't happen in three easy steps, quarter of an hour, one afternoon. It took time. Somebody cared. Somebody prayed. Somebody listened when you spoke about the brokenness in your life and the heartache and all the things that were wrong. Somebody took the time. Somebody carried a cross. I can't die for anybody's sins, but I can carry a cross to disciple somebody. Amen. Not everybody's going to listen. You read those passages, Son of Peace wasn't in every house they went to. In fact, they were told, they don't listen, you come out, you brush the dust off your feet and you walk away. That's not what we're supposed to do, just in case you're wondering. They was talking about the spiritual condition of Israel. We continue to love people when we have the opportunity, but you can't reach everybody. How many people in this city? Somewhere between one and a half and two million people. But you can disciple one person. One person. The question is, are we willing to carry our cross for them? Are, or are we willing? To, are we trying to save our own life? Because in Matthew 16, I'm just about done. Matthew 16, let's read it again. Verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Again, that verse 25 is not talking about dying. When it says lose your life, it's not talking about the end of your physical existence. It's about putting aside everything that you want to focus on what he wants. And he said that if we will do that, if we will lose our life for his sake, what did it say? We'll find it. When you choose to follow God's will, you find a life that you could have never, ever found on your own. It's inconvenient to reach for people. It's inconvenient to take time, to care, to be patient, to listen, to pray for, and all those things. But if that soul is born again, if that soul repents of their sins, as we talked about this morning, has their sins washed away in Jesus' name and is filled with the Holy Ghost, I promise you, you'll get up the next day and be ready to do it all over again. Stand with me if you would this morning.
Two questions I want us to pray about as we close in prayer this morning. First one is, and this is you've got to ask this of yourself. Don't ask it of the person next to you, of yourself. What does denying myself look like for me? And secondly, what does bearing my cross look like for me? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful, Lord, for your goodness. We're thankful, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, you know every heart that is in this place. You know the journey and the pathway of every life, Lord God. You know, Lord Jesus, what's brought us here. Lord, you know those that have been born again and you know the story. You know those that ministered to them, Lord Jesus. And I pray today, Lord God, that you would speak to us. Lord, you knew who 